0: This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry. Outer Blue by Amundi.
1: Welcome to Outer Blue Talks Research, knowledge sharing on financial research. Hello, and welcome to this Amundi Research Podcast with me, Swaha Patanaik. Today, I'm going to be discussing the extent to which the global economy is going through a 1970s revival, along with Tristan Perrier, a macroeconomist who works in our Investment Insights team. Tristan, welcome to the podcast, and it's great to have you with us.
0: Hi, Suha. Thanks for having me and very happy to be here.
1: Cool. Well, fashions come and go quite quickly. As a result, flared trousers have probably made more comebacks since the 1970s than the big macroeconomic phenomenon of that decade, inflation. High and sometimes double-digit inflation rates seen in many developed countries in the past two years have, however, reminded us all of the decade that gave us Saturday Night Fever. It's also left people wondering how many other similarities might be lurking round the corner. Tristan, now that inflation is finally coming off its peaks on both sides of the Atlantic, are there any other parallels with the 1970s that you think are still worth drawing?
0: Well, of course, to market professionals and much of the general public, inflation is the most striking parallel. However, there could be wider comparability in terms of transition to a new economic model. In fact, the high inflation of the 1970s coincided with the exhaustion of the post-war economic Canadian model and paved the way for something different, what we call the shareholder capitalism regime of the last four decades, which was dominated by supply side economic policies, globalization, de-industrialization in the West with its far-reaching social implications. So maybe the current high inflation years may also be the signs of exhaustion of a model and a transition to something different.
1: That's really interesting. So before we transition to something different though, so what are the differences uh, between the current environment and the 1970s?
0: Well, in terms of inflation, which is really the current theme of the of the moment, there are significant differences. First, over the short term, as you said, the direction of inflation is indeed downward. And the, but the most likely is that inflation can be brought down to target somewhat faster than it was in the 1970s. This is due to several uh, differences. First, to state the obvious, inflation in 2022 was not quite as severe as in the 1970s. If you think numbers, there have been few instances of double-digit inflation in the West. Uh, Consumer price inflation peaked just above 9% in the USA last year versus prints at nearly 15% in the uh, 1970s, whereas in the euro area, inflation only printed very briefly above 10% last year. Then in terms also of causes, obviously, there are some large similarities. The oil price shock of 2022 exacerbated by war is typically reminiscent of 1973. However, one should not forget that there was an even more exceptional event just before this in 1971, which was the suspension of the gold peg of the US dollar. This changed the very nature of the global currency, Therefore, a change in the referential numeraire of the global economy that was highly inflationary in essence. There is nothing like this today. There may be many much discussed challenges to the dominant role of the U.S. dollar, but changes, if any, are likely to be very uh, gradual. Then in terms of policy reaction, uh, central banks have also been quite quick to act to tame inflation, uh, despite some lags at the beginning. You could argue that also in the 1970s, they were quite quick, but the difference may be that based on the experience of the 1970s, central banks are also unlikely to cut rates too quickly uh, this time. Then there are also the long-built disinflationary expectations, which play a big role in uh, economic models, owing to hard-earned central bank credibility over the last uh, four decades that did not really exist in the 1970s. Long-term inflation expectations have not increased so much since COVID. And this is typically a factor that should help bring inflation back to target. Finally, we should also mention that much fewer wages are indexed to inflation than they were at the time, which should also prevent the formation of classic wage price feedback loops. So for all of these reasons, the most likely short term is that central banks will be able to bring inflation back to uh, 2% without inflicting as much damage to the economy as they had to in the 1970s. However, and that is uh, a big uh, uh, caveat, this is only if we do not have another big supply shock. after all, in the 1970s, there were two large spikes of inflation, not just one. One that followed the Kippur War and one that came after the Iranian Revolution of 1979. Nowadays, geopolitics remain the world card that can change everything.
1: Well, fingers crossed, it's not a geopolitics given we've already had the pandemic shock. So perhaps we can call the Ukraine one the second one this time. Um, let's loop back to the transitions that you were talking about. You said that in the 1970s, there was a transition to a different model altogether. Do you see something similar happening this time? Um, again, in the in terms of inflation and the broader economic model?
0: Yes, indeed. So there's a major long-term question regarding inflation. I have just mentioned that the cyclical direction is down, that Probably inflation can be brought to target in a few quarters, but will it long remain there? Will its future cyclical fluctuations not be around an average that is structurally higher than in the previous decades? And it is here that inflation relates to this question of a new economic model. The high inflation period of the 1970s led to a number of policy decisions that allowed four decades of disinflation on the back of stronger monetary policy frameworks supply-side economic policies and globalization. It is possible that, and there are reasons to think that the current high inflation years paved the way for another transition, yet in the opposite direction. Why is that? Well, because we may be headed towards more government intervention, especially for large investment programs to address such challenges as climate change or sovereignty. There could be also more demand side policies, more support to demand, including through wages that is largely for political reasons that include the need to tame the rise of non-mainstream political forces in the West. And there could be also some degree of de-globalization on the ba- on the back of uh, geopolitical reshuffles. If such scenarios indeed unfold, which may sound as a big if, as there are also strong counter arguments, then inflation could be on higher average than in the past uh, decades, higher than in, in the past decades, even though it would still be obviously lower than uh, its recent cyclical peaks.
1: Let me ask you, um, as a follow-up to that then, what are the implications for monetary policy? Because this fiscal policy, monetary policy nexus is quite important. If you're saying inflation is going to remain sticky above target and certainly higher than previous uh, sort of decades in recent times, does that mean a different trajectory and a different approach to monetary policy and that we'll have to get used to interest rates, perhaps saying closer to current levels than the sort of zero that we were used to not so long ago?
0: Well, here, of course, we need to separate the short-term cyclical scenario for monetary policy and the longer-term implications. So. In terms of cyclical short term scenario, at the moment, we believe that it is more likely than not that rates have peaked, at least in the United States and the euro area, uh, although there's probably still some residual hike ahead of us in the United Kingdom. But uh, at least in the US, the the, the latest inflation numbers and Fed's peak have been uh, quite encouraging. It is true that there may not be enough information when we reach the next uh, September FOMC for the Fed to transition to a a fully flattish forward guidance. However, the Fed and more recently the ECB have given themselves the flexibility to skip one uh, committee for a rate decision, which the Fed already did last time and which which will probably happen or could very well happen uh, in September. And then by the time that we reach the the committees that come after, so it will be end of October for the ECB, uh, early in November for the Fed, by this time, our scenario, is that there will be enough information, evidence of the decline in inflation, for uh, forward guidance to become much more uh, flat than it uh, currently still uh, still is. So we could have, we could, there could be conclusive evidence by this time once we are quite advanced in the fall that uh, indeed rates did peak in uh, July. Uh, And then, however, we believe that central banks will be very prudent before they cut rates, especially so as uh, even though we do expect a recession in the United States at at the, the end of the year, we do not think that it will be Uh, sharp enough to persuade the Fed to cut rates uh, very quickly. Then, of course, there's the question of uh, the very long term implications. If indeed, uh, on average, inflation is higher, this uh, may raise for some challenges for central banks very obviously. So the ECB here may have some room because uh, actually uh, higher inflation on average may mean that the ECB reaches its 2% target and not undershoots it the way uh, it did in the past decades. If for the Fed, it may be inflation that is on average a bit higher than target. Maybe uh, for a time, this can be justified by the the, the need to amend off to Compensate for the long years where inflation was uh, below target, but then uh, there, there, there may be a debate that builds on uh, whether the two percent target is uh, really legitimate, must be maintained. But we only see this after uh, evidence. There's evidence of structurally higher inflation, not just cyclical fluctuations, and this can uh, take a few years. So it's not for the immediate uh, futures, but but indeed, if 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 it is found out that the economy uh, can only work with inflation that is slightly higher than in the past. That there will be uh, this will provide room for many uh, policy debates
1: Absolutely. I have to We we should flag though right now, all central bankers are saying this is not the time to debate the 2% target. It's the time to hit it. Um. So as you say, a debate for the longer term. Let me go back and ask you about the wage increases you talked about. You mentioned earlier when you were talking about sort of a new economic model that there may be more government support for demand, including through wages. I presume you mean sort of wage setting me- mechanisms mechanism and public sector pay. What are the risks of the wage spiral at the moment? Because this is the key thing that central bankers are watching to see if inflation will become really entrenched and whether they have to be more aggressive still.
0: Uh, well, Here also there's a question of short term wage uh, price spiral risk and the longer term question of the sharing of value added between uh, between wages and capital. So over the short term, the big argument against the wage uh, price spiral is that so far wages, let's say since COVID, wages have only been catching up partially with the high inflation. There have been, in fact, few instances of rises in real wages, at least for the United States and uh, the euro area. Pois Price within a, a, a true wage price spirals, you have episodes where uh, real wages really uh, do increase. Uh, also, as previously mentioned, the fact that wages are less indexed than they were in the 1970s is, of course, a very big factor that reduces the risk of a complete wage price spiral. Therefore, we believe that this risk is probably uh, moderate, even though it, was, it will remain as a major risk for quite a long time, and it will be a key reason why uh, central banks cannot afford uh, the risk of uh, cutting rates too soon and and we're probably headed towards uh, a plateau of several quarters of uh, rates that remain fixed, but at uh, relatively high uh, levels. Now on the more general longer term wages versus capital splits. Well, Obviously, the economic, one of the, the major character uh, characteristics of the economic regime of the last 40 years is that it played in favor of capital uh, versus wages. Capital meaning corporations, profits, but not only. There was also obviously a very big uh, story of uh, a rise in housing capital, which was very detrimental to those that did not uh, possess it and raised and some uh, issues of uh, intergenerational inequalities. Uh, but... Uh, Uh, Now, you can also add that the the, the post-COVID years, even the post-COVID inflation, even shifted the balance uh, even more in in the direction of being detrimental to to wages, even more in favor of corporations. Yet, it may be different in the coming years. This is uh, due to the already mentioned political factors, the the fatigue, the general fatigue of public opinions with all those supply-side pro-corporation reforms that were seen as favorable to capital and increasing social inequalities. And the necessity for governments and corporations to make uh, concessions, to increase wages, including to prevent the rise of non-mainstream political forces or because uh, non-mainstream political forces may access power through coalitions and push more demand uh, side agendas. Uh, Then I could also mention that aging, there are lots of uh, studies on the implications of uh, of, uh, aging on wages, but at least in some sectors, they could create labor shortages that would uh, benefit wages. So all in all, the most likely is probably that the the balance shifts uh, backwards a bit more in favor of wages in the coming years of our decades. Note, however, that there are also uh, counter arguments. For instance, uh, I think everybody has noticed that this AI, artificial intelligence narrative has taken over the world in recent months. This is typically the kind of technology that can make much of the middle class occupations less relevant and therefore. For compress uh, their wages, compress the wages in the middle, at the uh, at the benefit of those that are at the bottom of the scale, or at the benefit of those that own this intellectual property that allows uh, AI. So there are also counterarguments, and, and the case for a rise in wages versus uh, profits is not uh, fully closed. Even though we believe that the most likely is that wages will uh, earn a, l- a larger share. <laughs>
1: Thank you. So let me pull all of that together and ask you perhaps, what are the investment implications, short term and long term, of sort of the different forces that you're talking about? Because you've been talking again in the short term and the long term. Perhaps you could start off with the short term and then we'll move on.
0: Yes, indeed. So in terms of tactical positioning, uh, we tend to move back to bonds. That's what we have been doing since the beginning of this year, but to be uh, a bit more prudent on equities. This is in accordance with our view that policy rates have peaked, uh, yet also that the effect of this monetary tightening on economic activity only happens with a lag and may uh, still be to come. Uh, Recently, macro news has been rather uh, on the positive side, but we are not completely out of the woods regarding this effect of tightening, which can based on historic uh, evidence can take at least Two years since uh, after the beginning of the tightening, so we will still have a mild recession uh, in the United States. Again, in our scenario, we do not believe that uh, equity markets are fully priced uh, for this. We think that uh, EPS, uh, the EPS forecast uh, of the market, are still a bit uh, optimistic. So we think we could get some better uh, entry points on equities. So this is on, in terms of tactical, more uh, to the advantage of bonds versus uh, equities. Now in terms of structural positioning, indeed, the, the different factors I have mentioned in terms of long term uh, transition uh, have uh, implications. First, uh, if indeed inflation is structurally higher than in the previous decade, uh, let's say that higher inflation usually comes with higher inflation volatility and that higher inflation volatility probably means that uh, investors will require a higher compensation for inflation, which will be factored in in the discount rate. Since this is a common factor uh, to equities and bonds, uh, shifts in the required compensation for inflation can cause more co-movement of bonds and equities than what we witnessed in the last uh, 25 years, we could be back to a regime which was more uh, similar to the one we had uh, before the mid uh, 90s, which at the time where inflation was still uh, was a bigger topic than it was uh, after. And this can mean that typical classical bond equities allocation can be somewhat less efficient uh, in optimizing the uh, risk return uh, couple. So, it could mean, it does not mean that we need to move away from for bonds and equities, they remain the cornerstone of diversified uh, allocations, but it could mean that to, to have the same uh, risk, um, risk uh, return optimization as before, we may need to diversify somewhat into uh, more exotic asset classes, which include Real assets, typically uh, real estate, infrastructure, or commodities that, had, that may help uh, improve the, the sharp ratios. Uh, additionally, the return on equity is maybe somewhat lower than the, in the past decades. Uh, I have mentioned the reasons to believe that inflation may be higher on a structural basis. It is somewhat less the case for uh, growth. We do not see growth in the next decade as so different from what we have experienced in the last uh, in in, in, in since the beginning of this century. So if indeed within stable growth, you have a sharing of value added that is more in favor of wages, this can mean uh, at the margin a bit less for uh, shareholders. Uh, then another factor is that there may be rising benefits to geographic diversification. This is if glo- if deglobalization, sorry, reduces the global synchronization of economic cycles, therefore the global synchronization of rates and uh, therefore also causes higher uh, forex volatility, which uh, investors can try to take uh, advantage of. We are already typically on bonds trying to uh, take advantage of the desynchronized uh, aspect feature of uh, Chinese bonds and rates, for, uh, for instance. And finally, when it comes to, to deciding where to invest, we believe that the growth advantage of EM versus DM is probably here to stay, that the the, the, the story of the rise of China and then of India has, has more room to go. Therefore, investors should consider a structural rise in their direct or indirect exposure to, uh, to EM. These, are, these would be the main long-term uh, implications of these changes.
1: Thank you, Tristan. And just, I mean, as investors look ahead and see these are the ideas, the short term, long term, they also have to overlay this with a huge swathe of uncertainty. Perhaps I could ask you to list, there are so many, but perhaps I could ask you to list a a few of the main ones that you see that people will need to, you know, figure out or have result before they make final decisions.
0: Yes, th- these are times of uncertainty, so I would not be uh, excessive here. I would not say it's absolut- they are absolutely exceptional. For sure, it is a frequent habit to consider that everything was simpler before. Uh, I'm not so sure that the world was fully predictable uh, 10 year or 20 years or 40 years uh, ago. Nonetheless, it is obvious that there are many uncertainties uh, today. Uh, I have already mentioned that what our central scenario is, but that there are also uh, big arguments in opposite uh, direction. Let's say that short term inflation can still bring a surprise. Few people predicted how high inflation would go in 2022, so we must be very humble when uh, predicting that the jenny will be quickly back in the box in the coming uh, quarters. Uh, inflation can decline very quickly, or it could be much more resilient than we believe in our central scenario. Then there is also something I already mentioned, which is the magnitude of the lagged economic effect of the monetary tightening. We have very little visibility uh, on this. It could be mild or it could still lead to a severe recession. After all, rates have increased really a lot in the past, uh, in past quarters with not so much economic effects uh, so far, but it could be just a matter of time. Uh, so this is these are more the uncertainties for the cycle. When it comes to long-term uncertainties, well, here my choice to, would be to be quite humble as well, meaning that I would agree with what seems to be conventional wisdom today that uh, and that it is right to, to point to the to such themes as the resurgence of major warfare in Europe, to climate change, and to the implications of uh, AI as the major unknowns. All may have far-reaching consequences in many hard to predict uh, directions. So definitely investors should work with a central scenario, but they must also make sure that they are ready for volatility, that they monitor liquidity, which is more uh, important than ever, and that they do stress test their portfolios as much as they can uh, for several potential uh, contradictory uh, outcomes.
1: Thank you, Tristan. That was a really uh, nice sum up of everything. And I guess if I'm going to stay in the 1970s theme, it's not completely clear perhaps yet whether we're looking at a bridge over troubled water, as Simon and Garfunkel said, or Darkness on the Edge of Town, Bruce Springsteen's album from the 1970s. Um, do you perhaps, let me end up with sort of uh, the same music themed question to you. Do you have a view or perhaps a favourite 1970s song of your own whose title might be appropriate for uh, right now.
0: Well, in fact, I think the the most appropriate may be some uh, titles of the very, very late 1960s or very early 1970s. Uh, I'm thinking that uh, obviously we asset managers cannot promise the the stairway to heaven of uh, Led Zeppelin. This is just not the way investment market works. And as the Rolling Stones uh, state, you can't always get what you want, or at least not easily. So what I see in terms of path uh, ahead of us is more like the the, the beater long and winding road and maybe the best way to drive this long and winding road is also to stay with the Beatles and to try to identify investment opportunities across the universe yeah.
1: absolutely great roundup perhaps we've given our uh, listeners some ideas for summer listening as well there um from some tunes tristan that's really kind of you to join us thank you for taking the time
0: my pleasure thanks for the interview
1: and thanks to all of you for listening to us today. And we hope you'll join us again soon.
0: This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors, as defined in Directive 2004 39 EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets and financial instruments called MIFID investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of Amundi.